Hello and welcome to an emergency episode of The Football Story where we talk the rise and fall of the European Super League. Today I'm very lucky to be joined by Matt McColl. Matt, how are you? Yeah, I'm pretty well. Pretty well, Harris. Uh, Andrew. Andrew Harris, yes. Uh, and uh, Oscar Semios, how are you? Yep, very well. Very, uh, very shocked by the events of the last seventy-two hours. It's been uh, a lot of a lot to take in, but very glad that we've ended up in the position that we're in now. Absolutely. Uh, I think when I decided that I was going to whip out another episode um, of the podcast, we were in the midst of of a, a formed Super League. Now, at the time of recording, um, on a Wednesday night here in Australia, we are not looking at that proposition. So that's changed um, a little bit, but still lots to talk about. Um, I guess after the few days and Oscar, you touched on it, uh, how are you feeling personally? Cause personally, I've, I, I don't think I've ever had football make me feel this, this way before. I think, I think shock as much as anything else, um, just at the, the way that it all unfolded. I mean, I remember, you know, like on, it was on Monday morning here in Australia that the news sort of broke and getting off the train and, uh, and walking along and sort of looking at my phone for the first time that day and suddenly seeing uh, like Instagram and Twitter blowing up with all these stories. These, there were first, there were reports, sort of rumors circulating. Uh, and then it was suddenly we saw this clubs were releasing these statements uh, and sort of putting them out there. And, uh, and then sort of similarly, I suppose this morning, you suddenly wake up and it's it's all come crashing down so quickly. I think four club, four of the Premier League clubs withdrew in the space of about 10 minutes. Uh, the other two weren't far behind. So it's just the how sort of quickly it's it's come and gone. It's like a flash in the pan almost. Absolutely. Obviously, we had the six Premier League teams pull out this morning. Um, and the, the latest were, I guess, to the point where we're recording is um, that that um, Andrea Agnelli has come out and said that the league will not happen. Um, Matt, what do you think is left to come in this story? What, what, what would you expect over the next week to happen? Well, I think I, I can't tell if the owners thought that it was just a, a done deal and they thought, well, we've got the money to power. It's, it's just going to happen. Or they, they even thought maybe we'll see what happens with the fans and, and we'll try and write it out. But the response from the world the world football fans has just been um, one of, you know, just outrage and, and um, disgrace that they could think they could just swindle something like this um, and, and have a little fun with such a, um, a big part of people's lives and just take that away from them. So, um, it's yeah, it's awesome to see that it's just... What, what's the response has been and um, I'm glad it's uh, it's fallen apart quite swiftly. What do you think about the fans reaction to this though? Like, do you think that the fans are the main reason why the Premier League clubs have pulled out? Do you think they are the main reason or do you think other stakeholders such as the players, um, obviously you've got UEFA, FIFA, the Premier League, other clubs, where where do you see how important the fans are in that? Are they the number one reason that this has been reversed? Uh, it's hard to tell. I, it's probably not. It is probably not the fans as much as 
we wish it was all 100% fans. I think the response from the players um, internally, um, and that probably comes from from their roots as well as as just kids want to dream play for their, their local team, you know. Players like Trent Alexander-Arnold playing, for, you know, hometown club and, and winning a Champions League. Like, um, I think they were probably uh, as, as passionate and, and strong with their stance as, as fans were. And that, that probably is the biggest factor, I, I'd say. Uh, if the if the players were a bit more on board, I'd say there's more chance it would have would have come about. But um, yeah, so a bit of both. Yeah, and it's hard to know what's gone on behind the scenes as well. I mean, I think a couple of the managers, um, you know, Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel said they didn't know anything about this before it was announced. Uh, whether or not you believe that, I don't know, but uh, it seems like there's uh, from within the clubs, there's been quite a lot of, or at least the sort of playing side of the clubs, uh, there's been a lot of skepticism that this would ever get off the ground. It's it's kind of hard to almost imagine who was who was backing it. And I think that, you know, the money side of things is is obviously really big. And I think it definitely seems like it's a big cash grab to, to bail out some of these uh, big clubs and the amount of money that they've lost in the last year. I think the latest figure was that Barcelona was a billion euros in debt or something uh, crazy like that. But, you know, I, I had someone point out to me this morning that, you know, if you want to make money in football, or if you want to make money, owning a football club's, a, you know, an interesting or a strange way to go about it. Like if Roman Abramovich wants money, he's he's not buying Chelsea Football Club for to make money. And I suppose the shame, same with uh, Sheikh Mansour and Man City. And I guess for them, it, it is sort of entertainment. And it, it, if they're seeing the fans who are sort of like their brand turning their backs on them, then, you know, I think the fans do sort of have a lot to... Uh, a lot to answer for a lot to be proud of here that they have managed to turn things around. Yeah. And, and Oscar, you wrote a really um, interesting piece for the raw um, talking a little bit about sort of, I guess, in your eyes, what, what football is, is truly about and that fan experience. Can you touch on that um, a little bit and, and, and what, yeah. What, what inspired you to write that piece? Yeah, look, it was it was something that sort of just, oh, I suppose, sort of had to get sort of thrown out there. Like I sort of heard this news and uh, was just so shocked by it because I think that it, the the com- lack of competition in in this Super League was uh, was something that just jumped out at me and just sort of how unfair it was from the outset. I mean, I've always the reason I've always loved football is just because there's been, I think, in my mind, there's a place for everyone in there, and I see that. You know, when we look at at the very top of the game, the the two best players uh, that the world has seen, certainly in the last decade, Messi and Ronaldo, two physically very different people. Like it sort of doesn't matter where you come from or or how big or small you are. There's there's a place for you in the game. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, like even I think we sometimes see when we play our own sort of amateur park football on the weekend, uh, you can play against all sorts of different people. And ultimately we're all united by this one sort of, fundamental understanding that if you're good enough, you can sort of rise through the ranks. And I think that sort of, that sort of opportunity, that sort of democracy of, of football, I felt was what got ripped out uh, with this announcement. The fact that there was no jeopardy, there was no relegation. You didn't qualify for this by being the best team. Um, and it just sort of seemed to just ignore everything that I think football was like, it seemed to just 
absolutely misunderstand what fans wanted to see uh, in their in their teams and what fans wanted out of the game. It's an interesting point you make about football being for everyone and and there's a lot of talk about money because yeah, if you look down at like the greatest players in history, so many of them come from like poverty or abject circumstances. You look at um, Messi, Maradona, Pelé, De Stefano. I mean, you know, football is not one of those sports where you know, we look at sports, I guess, in our own country, like your sort of rugby unions and that kind of thing, which is the private school game. And, and, you know, you, you have to be, you know, like ice hockey, I guess, in the States as well, you know, football um, obviously isn't like that. I guess like, you know, is this actually what football needed to unite fans of rival clubs? Cause I think there's football fans are divided on so many issues, but like, is that a is that a positive of this that like yeah like the fans have bonded together over i guess fighting injustice in the game i think it's helped the, some of the fans to sort of remember that what they want out of the game like the you know the fans of the the so-called big 6 in the premier league don't just want to play some superstar competition they do want to see genuine like competition week to week. Like I think it was uh, uh, Marcelo Bielsa who said that what he loved about football was that the little guy could beat the big guy. Um, you know, this morning Chelsea couldn't manage to beat Brighton uh, at Stamford Bridge. And, you know, there's a, there's a poetry to that as well. I think it, uh, I, I think fans want to see that sort of competition. And as a Chelsea fan, as much as it, you know, I don't it suck seeing us draw with Brighton uh, there's, you know, you sort of accept that's part and parcel of the game. You, you accept that that's what you want to see, that sometimes the the result doesn't go your way. But that's, I think, the, the theatre of football. If, if we knew what was going to happen every time, then there'd be no interest to it. And I think that's what you'd probably get with the Super League. Yeah. Um, Matt, what do you think about that irony of, I mean, Oscar was saying, obviously, Chelsea, Chelsea drawing, um, Liverpool drawing. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other results did we have? Real Madrid drawing. Oh. I watched uh, Arsenal fall the other night, and um, you vet, you've been just losing. Yeah, like yeah. what does that teams, say? I mean, like teams that are, uh, you know, teams that struggle to stay in week in week out, but in the top level, um, fall between first and second and drop down even further. Uh, you know, and, and these teams like yeah, for instance, Arsenal the other night, you know, pinching a last minute draw. Yet they want to, well, they've gone and joined a, a potential league where they're just playing the best teams in the world, and they can't even. They're not even in the top four in their own, in their own country. So um, let alone, they've never even won a European cup. So like Tottenham as well, like these teams that want to, I guess, a Gordigan rival is playing in the top, top teams every year, which is what was, they were hoping to happen. And, and they can't even, um, they've never even won these comps and, and they don't even dominate. Like this, it's like, regardless of that, I think it's just, um, just a pitiful uh just grab um, power grab cash grab by these um, out of touch billionaire football owners. So, yeah. yeah. And speaking of the strength of the clubs in the competition, how important was it that PSG and Bayern especially didn't join? Uh, look, I think it's, I think it's massive. I think if you, if we talk about sort of the big five leagues, uh, across Europe and for, for PSG and Bayern not to be there 
Uh, I mean, I, I believe that a big reason that PSG didn't join is that their chairman is also the chairman of, I think, BN Sports, who stand to benefit massively from Champions League broadcast deals. So, uh, so he, I can't remember his name, I think was perhaps, uh, you know, being perhaps a bit money hungry himself actually saved PSG uh, from, from joining up to this league. But uh, in Germany, I don't fully understand the, the sort of uh, ownership structure of clubs, but you suspect that had those two teams joined, uh, it would have been that uh, this bigger sense perhaps of collusion and they it would have perhaps seemed more inevitable. Um, from what I've been reading, England is obviously where we saw the most protest and the most outcry off the bat uh, because in Italy, from what I can gather, there was a little bit of, of obviously everyone very upset but almost a sense of being resigned that this was just going to happen now that it wasn't something that they could change uh, and I think if you did have PSG and Bayern and maybe others maybe Lyon or uh, or Dortmund signing on as well then it would have been people who just gone well like I guess this is going to happen this is uh, sort of committed now yeah and I guess, how do you think we even got to this stage in the first place? I know there was a lot of talk about, well, this coincided with the timing of UEFA's new Champions League plan, but how did this come about and and was this inevitable? Mm, I think I think that they have always probably had these um, ideas, um, some of these wealthy yeah, European big club owners. Um and I do think it's it. I mean, it probably they'll probably try and do it again. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past them in, in the near future. Um, but I think it's it's just a, um, a symbol of the way we are in the world with the the money system. Just trying to make as much money as you can um, and forego the 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 loyal hard rusted on supporters have been there their whole lives. You know these working class teams like Manchester and Liverpool from their their you know, great upbringings from, you know, dock workers and things like that to um, what it is today. Um, and I think these these owners just have no real sense of that community. Um, I know they're huge clubs and they have these big supporter bases, but there's still these rusted on supporters that have been following them for generations. So, yeah. Um, but I, I do think it's, it's something that we have to keep an eye on. I think it's, old, you know, in the near future, I think it's a chance to happen again, but maybe not. Maybe not as more uh, as strong with with the response now that maybe they'll yeah think about it a bit more. But we'll see, have, have either of you had the chance to look at the clip from um, Liverpool's owner um, John Henry in the last sort of two hours, where he's come out and and apologised basically. Um, I guess sort of charading that he gets it and he's like really sorry and, and blindsided. I don't know if either of you saw that, but would you believe an apology? I mean, uh, I'll take you Oscar. I mean, as a Chelsea fan, if Roman Abramovich comes out and apologizes, do you take that at face value? I think it's the apologies have, have been really sort of bizarre. I mean, uh, I haven't seen the footage of John Henry myself. I saw a headline that he'd come out and said that it was all his fault. Uh, and he actually apologized. And I think that was really crucial because of the, I think we're now eight teams have pulled out. You've got the the big six and I think the two Milan clubs uh, or one of the Milan clubs and, and Atleti have pulled out. Uh, but 
of the the big six this morning, Arsenal were the only team in their press release to actually say sorry uh, and actually sort of admit that what they did was was wrong, as opposed to just just another business decision that they'd that they'd made a mistake on. And you know, I think that that is is stinging with fans a little bit. Uh, the fact that you know Chelsea came out and just sort of made this call. I mean, if Roman Abramovich came out, I, I don't think I, I could believe him. I mean, I think he's made it very difficult to be a Chelsea fan for the last number of years. The, the hiring and firing of managers makes it feel like, you know, it, it, there's no sort of consistency in the club to, to support. And so if he came out, would I believe it? Probably not. Uh, I mean, I think he, his reputation precedes him. I, I don't know enough about John Henry or... Uh, sort of his the nature of his involvement with Liverpool, but um, you know, in terms of just the, the sheer PR management, even seems to have been bungled from the from the clubs on this. Yeah, I guess. I mean, do you think that, like, it, to me, it seems crazy that the clubs wouldn't have expected this? But do you like? Do you think that they really thought? they wouldn't get this kind of backlash or do you think they just were like, we don't care about it. Or do, do you think they actually didn't expect this? I think it's, it's hard to tell. I mean, there's some things don't seem to make a lot of sense. Like it seemed very sinister in the first place that it was getting, that this news was all breaking on a Sunday night in Europe, that they were sort of sneaking this thing out. Like why is it being released at 11 PM on a Sunday night? Were they sort of hoping that people would just see it and, and not, not react to it or that it would get lost in, in the Monday morning news cycle. Uh, I'm not, not really certain what the, the motive there was, uh, you know, and the, it's very difficult to tell what they thought was going on. And, and, you know, there was one other thing actually that I saw on Twitter this morning, a journalist saying that, you know, a lot of the, the people who actually run the clubs behind the scenes, there's obviously that you've got your few sort of moguls at the very top, but a lot of the other people are actually sort of ex-players or sort of, you know, jobs for the boys, like mates, mates, who actually understand very little about day-to-day business, let alone day-to-day running a football club. So it's, it seems entirely possible that they just don't understand what what's in it for the fans. Like if they're there as uh, just, just, this is just a job, this is just an easy way for them to make lots of money sitting around all day, uh, it's quite possible that they just don't understand what the fans want, what the fans are, are in the game for. If, if this, I mean, we're, we're now looking at, at this not happening, okay? But let's play devil's advocate, okay? That despite the fan backlash, this European Super League went ahead, right? Let's put on our um, mm. imagination or, or our what-if hats, uh, Matt, give me your kind of crystal ball into that. What does that look like? And if we did have the European Super League, do you really think that no one would have watched it? Um, I think, I do, I, I think if if it did, yeah, eventually, if it went ahead and, and everything, they were ready to go with games and stuff. I, I think they they would have got the the, the crowd. He would have got numbers um, just simply for the fact that people do want to see the best players in the world. Um, as much as, yeah, most people have shown to be against it, I think it would have got viewers. Um, but it's just, yeah, it's just interesting that the fact that they wanted it done during COVID. So I'm thinking with, with you know, travel reg- regulations, I'm not sure what they're like between like Italy, Spain and that. Um, but 
Yeah. Um, well, they're traveling for the Champions it. League, so yeah. Well, um, that's right. So, um, but yeah, I think it it, it inevitably, inevitably would have probably had a good viewership. But um, yeah, I'm glad it. Yeah, it's not going ahead. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah, go. I on. think we're all we're all fans. I think we all want to see football played at the highest level, and in that way, I wonder if the uh, for for what it's worth, I wonder if actually the the business people behind this actually thought they were going to get away with one because they think that as fans they know that we want to watch the game they know that we want to watch the best players and we know they know we want to watch our club like I mean no you know no Premier League fan starts out the year going yeah I'm really excited for the Carabao Cup this year but it sort of takes on meaning because it's your team that's playing in the in that uh in that competition and maybe they thought they sort of had it there but I mean I think that the the response of fans was just so strong like I, you know, remember I sort of had woken up on Monday morning uh, and had before I'd seen any of the news, I was sort of packing my bag, getting ready for the day and getting ready to go to football training that night. And I had a Chelsea shirt that I brought along and at the end of the day, didn't even end up wearing it. Like none of the boys that were at football training even wanted to wear any of those shirts from those clubs. I think such was the sort of the disgust at, at what they'd done to the game. Yeah, it's, it, you're right. And that it's funny like my my experience on mondays usually when i wake up um and i don't have time to like watch the um football or like catch up on the highlights or the mini matches or watch replays before i go to work i'll keep my phone off um so that when i like i just hate watching football knowing the result even if it's like a high, three minute highlight so I, I hold off and i didn't turn my phone on the whole day till about 4 p.m and i was just wondering why i there was just so much going on. I had so many messages and um, like crazy. Um, I guess my, my question and kind of following on from what we were talking about before, and I'd like to know what you reckon about this Oscar, if this went through, all right, if we have this European super league, is this the death of football? Would it have been the death of football? I know that's like a, a big and loaded question. And I think another phrase that's been thrown around is the game is gone. Would this for you have meant the uh, symbolic death of, of football? I think, you know, like you say, it's a big phrase to throw around, but, uh, but I, I think it might've been, I mean, I think the thing that's been bouncing around sort of social media today was that, how heartless it was that Arsenal was sacking, you know, 60 backroom staff and Gunnosaurus all while negotiating to, to get in on this three and a half billion euro pie. Uh, I think that would have been a, a particularly, you know, a pretty gutless way to go about it. Um, I, I think it would have certainly taken the soul out of the game and it might well have, what I think it might've turned this league into, it might've turned football into something where you go not because you're you're interested and you want to see your team win, um, you know you don't go to the game because you want to see your team the victory win. You go to for the sort of the spectacle to go and see a bunch of big players, and you don't really care about the result. People just go to watch the best players sort of do their thing, and because at the end of the day, the result doesn't matter. Maybe you care who wins the league, but no one cares who comes seventh. No one cares who comes tenth. None of those teams are, are going to be fighting for anything. Uh, I think it would have killed the the, the lack of competition would have probably killed it. It would have turned football from, from something we care about into just another way to entertain yourself on a, on a Saturday night. Yeah. Um, Maddie, I was 
unfortunately, uh, with you on, on Saturday night and we were standing uh, through probably the worst 90 minutes we've ever stood throughout a football game, um, losing 7-0 um, as victory fans to our, our, our main rivals. Did that news that broke on Monday, because I think it has for me, did that news put in perspective that result? And I guess, like, no one's saying, sitting here going, well, you know, standing in, in, in 90, for 90 minutes and seeing your team batted 7-0 after they were batted 6-0 is fantastic because it was awful. But... I guess for me, on reflection, I would rather my team get battered 7-0 by their closest rival than, you know, being involved in something like this. Do you, what, 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 what do you think about that? Yeah, um, yeah, I get the sentiment because, uh, yeah, as much as it hurts, and, you know, seeing you, yeah, you, you, your team getting smacked by it's, it's, it's one of its biggest rivals. Um, yeah, the, the thought of what a lot of the, you know, rust on Liverpool United fans going through and, and having, yeah, the history gone just like that um, because I, I wasn't sure with the implications that could have been with the Premier League and obviously the local league, um, whether they, you know, get kicked out or, or things like that. Um, and that would have been terrible. So, yeah, it sucks, um, you know, seeing your team get smacked, but being able to, you know, know you can... You know, whenever it happens, you can turn things around um, and go again next season. You know, changes with the team and and and, and staff level, and and you know, hopefully things change. Um, so, I think yeah, it does put it in a bit of perspective. Because um, yeah, you know, I think what we've got in Australia, got it in Australia, is not bad. Um, it'd be great if we could get that you know, promotion relegation because I think yeah, it would um, engage more here. But um, it's it's good that yeah, I think we've got something a bit more authentic than actually a lot of the European big leagues and things like that. Yeah, and I'm, I'm going to touch on Australian football in a sec. I do want to ask, though, and one of the interesting takeaways that I've kind of been looking into and be interested to know, to, to know what you think about this is that, and Oscar, I, I, I agree with your sentiment that that this would have been the death of football. I, I, I am convinced, um, and I've always been afraid of this happening. Um and I guess I think about what football was like when I was growing up, you know, I'm thinking specifically for me, it was the 2006 world cup. For me, that's like football at its most pure. Um, my question for you, and I kind of have already made up my opinion on this, I think, but has football just been dying a slow death over the last decade with VAR billionaire owners, um, foreign wealth funds. And was this just the final straw? Look, it's that's a big question you ask. I think it. Uh, if Leicester hadn't won the Premier League in 2016, I would say absolutely. I would say absolutely. It, it seems like the game's sort of gone. I think that for a lot of people uh, sort of reinvigorated it and suddenly made everyone dream. But... You know, I think football, for all the money that's there, but you do still get the odd sort of, the odd story that that makes you perk your head up. Like I was thinking, you know, two, two examples that popped to mind, Ajax's dream run 
uh, a couple of seasons ago. You know, even even a very good Liverpool team coming from three 0 down against Barcelona is was pretty improbable. Uh, I suppose Barcelona coming back a, from what four 0 against PSG. Um, you know, I think you get these these stories. Like there was, you know, there's one other one that actually jumps out at me, and I can't remember the details very well, but it was in an FFA Cup match uh, a couple of years ago, and. I think it was Sydney FC or Central Coast Mariners. One of them got an A-League club got beaten by Apia Leichhardt, a, a New South uh, Wales. I think that was the victory. Victory. Yep. We was, got it, was it the victory? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they, I remember you, we, maybe you boys remember a little bit better than me, uh, but I remember the, I think, <laughs> but I, I think if I remember correctly, the, the Apia Leichhardt striker who scored maybe one or two goals uh, had had to get leave from work where he worked as a chef at the opera house. He had to get leave from that to to mm. go and and dump the victory out of the FFA Cup, and I think football still has those little moments, uh, those of the underdog coming in and snatching something, um, but those moments do seem to be getting fewer and and fewer away. And I suppose with more money in football, I know the rich get richer and and the poor get poorer. I think the Super League sort of put a definite full stop and said the rich are rich now and everyone else is everyone else. Maybe where we're going is somewhere closer to a super league. And I guess it has been dying a little bit of a, of a slow death. Does that mean that, you know, Maddie, now we've, we've gotten rid of this super league that that football is now fixed. Well, no, uh, yeah, definitely not. Um, Cause I think, yeah, the problems are still there. The owners are still there. Um, they probably won't yeah, have many repercussions. They might get some fines. Um, but um, with yeah, with the the Super League stuff, you had I think three of the five owners or um, boards board potential board members were 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 Americans, and um, and I think it's almost a sign of what what European sport has European football compared to American football American sports, where it's it's just it's a franchise. You know they um they don't really mind about the fans it's it's getting them the the money the merchandise the promotion and and they'll move the clubs you know over to another city because they're not doing so well financially um but i yeah and i think with john henry at liverpool i think he's he's part of um fenway sports group and i think they they own obviously um the boston boston red sox i'm guessing and um you know we've got to that much money so they sort of, yeah, uh, I doubt John Henry's been to many Liverpool games in the last, you know, however many years he's been there. Um, and he probably, you know, he's probably not following how the youth team's going and, and things like that. Um, it's just it's just a really different world um, for, for a fan compared to a billionaire owner, obviously. Yeah, and, and you know, we talk about, we asked if, if football was saved and you mentioned earlier, are we how much have we got to thank Bayern and, and PSG for all this? You know, I think I've already said I'm a bit sceptical uh, about why PSG didn't sign up. I don't think it was because they thought it was for the good of the game. It, as I understand, their chairman uh, had an interest in seeing the Champions League keep going. Uh, but, you know, Bayern, f- f- for everyone, as much as everyone talks about them, like they, they've killed the Bundesliga every season. They sort of just take Dortmund's best player or they just sign the best player in the league. Um, you know, they they did it with Mario Goetze. They did it with Mats Hummels. They've done it sort of over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. When I was um, when I was actually in, in Germany um, 
couple of years ago and I went to a couple of Bundesliga games. It was interesting that, and and that was the opinion that I held for like so long. I was like, Bayern ruined the Bundesliga. But the impression I was getting from German fans is that, no, it's actually the, the other German clubs that are letting them get away with this because they are selling to Bayern. And Bayern are within their rights to, you know, want a player and pay for a player. Um, I guess the issue that they seemed was these sort of smaller clubs were selling to Bayern and then they weren't using those funds to improve themselves. I think the Germans though have such a great system is where 51% of the club has to be owned by fans. And and I'm sure that that is one of the major reasons why no German teams joined. I think, yeah, PSG and not clearly not the Messiahs here. Um, I don't, I don't think we're looking at PSG and going, oh, wow, that's incredible. But I guess even if it was for the wrong reason, having them step out, I mean, PSG and Bayern are the two Champions League finalists from last season. Um, in my opinion, along with City, are the two best teams in the world currently. Um, so really, can you have a Super League if you don't have the two best teams? Probably not. Um and I guess looking forward, I kind of want to get your opinion on this. Obviously, like, it kind of feels random to actually talk about football games because, like, you know, football games have been going on the last couple of days and um, will continue to go on. I want to look at the Champions League semifinals. I never thought I would say this, but I'm sitting here going, gee, I hope PSG win now because... Yeah, the other three, I guess, the Super League teams. Is am I, am I too? Is that too far? Just like casting all aspersions um, on those three, or is that? Uh, do you think everyone's in the on the PSG bandwagon now? Um, yeah, well, I was thinking that before. Um, with the teams left, I, I was hoping you know one of the, the English teams was going to win. Um, probably City is as much as it sucks to say, but you know they've they've had fans and. Although they've been, yeah, owned now by this wealthy billionaire for a while. They've 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 got fans that've probably been there, you know, 50, 60 years. Um, but yeah, with with what's happened now, it is a it's a weird thing to say that there. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think it'd be probably best that PSG won it. Um, um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's just a weird thing to to be in with the with the teams in it currently. Oscar, obviously, you've got a team in the Champions League. Does it matter who wins the Champions League this year? Does it does it mean anything? I mean, obviously, it always means something. But considering what's gone on, how do you feel about having a like extremely important game next week that kind of feels like it's not the most important thing going on at the moment? Yeah, well, I mean, I can imagine for the players, it must be a, a huge distraction. I think. Um... Tuchel this morning after Chelsea's draw said, oh, look, I think it was a big distraction for the players. And and no doubt it was. But to what you say about who I want to win the Champions League at this point, I mean, probably PSG. Uh, I think that it's pretty disheartening as a, as a Chelsea fan to have seen that that's what, that's what my club's gone and done. And, and I, you know, the other, other three semi-finalists are no different. Um, But I think, when I think Gary Neville called it a crime against football fans, you know, it really is like, I really wonder what 
UEFA or what the Premier League will do uh, if they'll crack down and if they'll dock teams' points, if they'll find them, if they'll do this or that. But, you know, I, I think that this is a massive betrayal for fans who hoped that their clubs were at least going to continue to pretend to represent the the people. You know, Barcelona say they're, they're more than a club. Liverpool say, you know, you'll never walk alone. And they say justice for the 96 and and then turn around and... I think the the anniversary of the the Hillsborough tragedy was only a couple of days before the news broke. Mm. You know, it, it feels like a a pretty big slap in the face. And I think as as a Chelsea fan, I think it's like a, Abramovich has been sort of slap in the face, just sort of sacking managers constantly. I, I felt a little bit betrayed when Frank Lampard was sacked uh, after being given a really I thought like nothing to work with. So you know, it, it's you say I've got a team in there, and yeah, look, you know, I want to see Chelsea do well. Um, but it's, it's going to be very hollow. And I think that the, this betrayal is going to take a, a long time to heal. So what, like, in your opinion, if you're in that position, the clubs have come back to the Premier League, what punishment would you inflict? I know it's a big one. And I'm sort of split between, like, I feel like, relegating them um, for me seems actually quite like a good idea because they would lose quite a lot of money from that. And that's going to hurt the owners. Cause I think really the owners are the ones that need punishing, not the fans, you know, the fans, you know, the, the weathered on fans are, you know, it doesn't matter to them if they're in the championship or league one or league two or the premier league. You know, they'll go every week. So that's why I, I kind of am like, well, relegation might not be the worst idea because the real fans will still go. That's not going to affect them. Um, you know, it, for them, it's about going with their mates, you know, and their families every week. Um, fines, you know, how, how far can fines go? If we're talking about, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in the Super League, well, how much could you realistically find them that's actually going to hurt them? I don't know what other options there are open to suggestions. I don't know. What, what do you, what, what would you do? Well, I think, um, yeah, that you've made that good point. Uh, I hadn't really thought about it in that sense. Um, yeah. Cause you're going to get fans that are going to go and watch regardless, as you said, with the leaks. Um, I did see a lot of common ones seem to be the dock them quite a few points. I, I would think something like 25 points uh, potentially for next season. Um, and next there, season, but, so not not this season. It's a it's a tough one. Um, yeah, because obviously someone like Arsenal, obviously they're probably not going to be relegated. But um, well, I'm just seeing. looking. I'm 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 just looking um, mm. at the table now. If you docked Arsenal 25 points now, they would be um, 19, so they would be yeah. relegated. Yeah. Well, unless yeah, exactly. yeah. It's it's um. It's a tough one. I think, yeah, the bare minimum should be a docking points and a fine. And I, I think the biggest step probably, uh, and I think as, yeah, after hearing what you said, uh, I do think relegation would probably be um, something of a win for the general football fans to say that this, yeah, this you can't be doing this. And, and I can't imagine uh, some of the teams in the championship that uh, sort of mid-table thing might, you know, six of them go straight up. Um, I think that'd be quite cool in a sense. Um 
it'd be weird, but I, I think overall it might just send that message and um, and hopefully something comes good from from it in the future. Yeah, it could be a very interesting shakeup because you know you suppose you relegate those teams, they're not playing Champions League football next year, and uh, only three of them can come up. Well, exactly, exactly. So there's, there's... Two, at least three of them would be down there for two seasons. Yeah. Yes. I mean, that, that seems, I mean, I don't know if you want to be that long-term in your, in your punishment, because I suppose then you're, you're keeping them out of Europe for a very long time. I was thinking maybe if you don't dock them 25 points and, and to relegate them, um, you know, I'm not sure that it's, it's particularly fair to, to relegate Arsenal, but not City or, you know, the, to sort of put them in that boat. But I wonder if you can just say, look, you're not playing European football next year. I'm not sure who has the the power. I don't know if the FA have the power to sort of come over the top of uh, of the, the Premier League in deciding who gets to play European football next year. But, you know, it, it's already going to be huge if, if there's a Leicester or a West Ham in the Champions League. And if you get some of those other mid-table clubs, you know, looking at European football, um, uh, spots in Europe could be huge. And I, I wonder if keeping these the the big six you know the the trader of six or whatever you want to call them i wonder if keeping them out of europe for a season uh might be another potential approach yeah i think for me that would be a uefa decision and uefa have been pretty like strongly against this lack so i wouldn't be surprised if the uefa president did come out um and say that it'd be like the other thing is you know when do you make the punishment do you make that do you implement that now before the season's done you know I imagine the Champions League semifinals will be played, but I also can imagine them not being played. I'm, I'm, I sort of have no idea, I guess, at the moment. The, the news is evolving. I'm expecting to finish this recording and then like get on my phone and something else will have happened. I do want to digress um, as we kind of move towards wrapping up. I want to bring the focus just for this last little bit onto the game in our own country. Obviously the game in Australia has a lot of issues. Okay. I think everyone is aware of that, but what learnings can we take out of this debacle? Cause it is a debacle into the game in Australia. I think it's that fans matter. I think fans have a, a lot of power. Um, you know, I was sort of reflecting myself this morning. Um, I think I started my morning this morning. Sounds kind of similar to how you started your Monday morning. I, I didn't look at my phone until probably 8.30, 9 o'clock this morning. Uh, and I was sort of sitting there this morning uh, drinking my coffee thinking, you know, I, I felt a little bit guilty as a fan that I'd made all this noise about the Super League but hadn't made so much noise about so many other issues that, just seemed much more important, like access to the game, um, a lot of issues closer to like issues with Australian football, with with broadcasting, with, you know, the, the shambles that the W League has been broadcast this year, you know, other sort of issues of racism in the game. I think it's I think it's given fans something to to sort of think about, about their own power in the game and what they're going to care about. Maddie, what do you reckon about the sort of impacts that this will have all learnings on the we can take into the Australian game. I think, I think it's um, it's a tough one because we are so I guess spread and and 
not in the same boat, I think, as as Europe, as European football, and and, and that's for a multitude of reasons, quality and, and money and and broadcast and all that. Um, but I, I think there is something to learn in terms of um fan engagement and how much like fans truly care about the team. You know, I saw I saw, you know, lots of replies on, on the Liverpool feed, um, Liverpool Twitter, like with Russell on supporters, um, 30 on 35 plus year, like members their whole lives saying, you know, that's it. Like I'm, I'm, I would not renew my membership. I'm, you know, photos of, you know, sc- scarves and, and jerseys in the bin. Like um, it was, it was a real like thing. Like, yeah, we, we, we support a club, but this is just a, a kick in the face, like to, to the, the grassroots and and how the the money's come about in from history um and i think yeah it, it is for me you, you and me with with melbourne victory at the moment um the way a league's been been run i think and um particularly for yeah melbourne victory at the board and, and um a lack of um accountability the last few years and and this fall for for us is it's not a big surprise i think for yeah for for um true fans um i think yeah maybe your casual fans go what's happened with victory but I could see this happening, and um, the you know the response from the board, um, I think, has been pretty poor uh, with recent results. So, you know, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, the European Super League sort of, you know, fifteen teams, no promotion, no relegation, um, kind of sounds a bit like the A League. So, I hope that that is also a message to the people in Australia that obviously we are pushing for promotion, relegation, but clearly. Um, this is the model of football that is like very strongly opposed to. So I hope that this can um, encourage more discussion around the game in our own country. Um, and I hope that, you know, you know, people are, are going out to see their A-League teams this week um, because I guess that's where the change starts. So a um, lot, lot, lot being said. Um, there will be a lot more to be said over the next uh, couple of days. Um, to finish up, how, how, how do you both feel having gone through the ringer for a couple of days and come out the other side um, as, as football fans and um, Oscar, maybe a, a philosopher of the game. Uh, I love your, um, what's your, your Instagram bio? Oh, it's, uh, it's, it's, I oh, look, it's not mine. I think it was a, a German coach years ago who had it. He said that the ball is round, the game lasts 90 minutes and the rest is just theory. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's, I mean, I think it's pretty true of life really, but uh, yeah, you know, I think it's, it's been a lot to, a lot to go through. I think it's asked us to sort of think about why it is we really care about the game. And I think it's, you know, it's been heartening to see so many people care so much. Like you sort of wondered, uh, was it just going to be a bunch of keyboard warriors? But I mean, you know, even today seeing a lot of fans turned up at, at Stamford Bridge uh, and sort of delayed the game in protest. Uh, you had a bit of that, I think, as well yesterday with the Liverpool match in Leeds. Uh, I think it's been a very draining uh, last 24 hours. Uh, I don't know if I've ever spent so long on Twitter in my life trying to work out what's been going on, but like you say, it's going to be, there's a lot more of a lot of fallout. I guess we'll understand uh, what went on in the back room. And, you know, I think it'll be interesting. You asked what we could perhaps see, what we could learn in the game in Australia. 
you know, hopefully this is going to turn up the heat on the the people who made the decisions behind the scenes. And we'll try to, we'll get a bit more transparency on that. And um, you talked about the way that, you know, the, the A-League has been administered and, and the victory. Um, do you think we'll see more transparency there? Are we going to, are we going to hope that we're going to find out more and there's going to be more accountability uh, because the public is going to say, hang on, we want to know who's running our game. Yeah, I guess it'll be interesting. I mean, you know, there was a, a shareholder um, offer that that was offered earlier a couple of months ago. I believe that's fallen through. I hope that we are moving towards fan ownership of clubs um, and transparency. Unfortunately, the systems at the moment kind of prevent that. Um, we shall see. Um, I guess the game is always evolving and fans will always have the loudest voice and, and victory fans have always um, made themselves heard, but um, yeah, I guess, yeah, I guess we've got to look at our own clubs and, and, and what we can stand up and support for there. And obviously Maddie and I have, have, you know, a, a lover club that is going through an awfully rough time because of mismanagement. And yeah, I hope that, I hope that, yeah, that there will be more transparency, transparency and more accountability, but um Unfortunately, as, as has been so well put across, um, you know, social media that, that football is a, is a sport created by the poor and, and stolen by the rich. So, um, yeah, it, it, it will be interesting to, to see, um, any closing remarks from you, Maddie? Um, well, uh, yeah, I think, uh, as much as been, been shit. With uh, for for us with the our, our team, um, it's been heartening to see the the response from yeah the the, the proper fans and and of the game around the world. Um, and yeah, you can't just try and grab it from us. I think so. Yeah, and um, I'll I'll be there Friday night supporting the VUC. Um, probably see another loss, but uh, yeah, that's that's what you do when you you support your team through thick and thin. So. Absolutely. Uh, thank you, Maddie. Cheers. Cheers, Harris. Thank you, Oscar. Thanks, mate. I'll be um, putting up a link to your article, um, but thank you both for joining me. Um, a crazy few days. We may have seen the death of football. We may have seen the resurrection of football, but one thing is for certain that the game will never be the same. Um, and of course, the one truth that we all know that football without fans is nothing. Thank you for listening to The Football Story. 